Hi everyone and welcome to Be True, my podcast about the writing I love and the writing I do. I, uh, I, I promise I won't rhyme the whole time, you know? Come on, that's a spot on, Bruce Springsteen, and I'm John Tessitore. And today, a crane in the distance. A poem from my chapbook, All the Lonely American Roads. You can find it and all my work at johntessitore.com. A Crane in the Distance is the opening line of a poem originally titled Metropolitan Life. I wrote it as an acrastic exercise, an attempt to capture the power of a particular photograph in words. In this case, the photo is Metropolitan Life Insurance Building 1955 by the extraordinary photographer Robert Frank, published in Frank's revelatory 1958 photo collection, The Americans. There's a lot going on in the Frank photo, but it is ultimately just a street scene, uncharacteristically devoid of people, more still life than landscape, a very layered image. There's the skyscraper in the background, 200 Park Avenue in Manhattan, its windows shining in the sunlight. There's a construction crane and barrier in the middle distance. There's the railing of what appears to be a staircase down to the subway station, and in the foreground, There's a small magazine stand leaning against the railing. A crane in the distance tears a building from a crater, an elbow of girder, or maybe just a ruin. A staircase behind the western stars, new cars, old farms. Anything to catch the eye and tug the heart and hand before you take the subway to another station downtown where money commands more attention and no one gets distracted by art or science or a rustic vacation. Real men of business have no pastimes. What they offer is clean design, the typeface of a soothing simplicity, a simple deception when no one blurs the scenery. Empty streets are more common than you think. You can almost hear the dawning of the day, the clatter of iron gates over storefront collage, the charge, But this is the pause before the chatter. One step after another, as you leap the news for a steady ascent to the window that weeps like a tired eye winking in the sun. In such a room is your future. Flipping through pictures of streams in Montana, a rise where the view can stretch for miles and glaciers recede every spring, only to return with the changing leaves and the chill breeze. As you'll hear again and again on this podcast, for reasons I'll explain in a bit, I love Robert Frank, and I'm more than slightly obsessed with his book, The Americans, and with his crazy encyclopedic impulse to represent the America of the late 1950s in 175 black and white images. Come to think of it, I once worked on such a book, a book of portraits, 100 teenagers, two from each state. I helped write the copy and, until this very minute, never made the connection. (laughs) I have to think about that. But the picture that inspired this poem is not a portrait, it's a landscape. And what captured my attention were the magazines in the foreground. Western stars, new cars, old farms. In the very heart of Manhattan were, and still are, Magazine stands advertising distant places, foreign lifestyles, and possessions one does not need in order to live in downtown Manhattan, or midtown Manhattan, a car, for example, or a yacht, which is, of course, the very basis of capitalism. 
Capitalism runs not on manufacture, but on the manufacture of need. And magazines are little machines in which needs are manufactured. Or at least they were in the previous century before the internet. And that was my first job out of college, writing for a magazine in New York. So much fun, uh, but also a little unsettling. I spent a few of my early years massaging the fragile American male ego, the psyche, with the same message over and over again. You're great as you are, but you'd be even better if you... (laughs) I became a creative pitchman, usually unwittingly, just by being swept up in the culture of Midtown, by riding a wave of excitement, by doing my job. Hey boss, the guy from Ford Motor Company just called. He wants me to test drive a brand new SUV called an Expedition. What do you know about cars? Absolutely nothing. Great, go do it. (laughs) I don't know why my boss sounds like Jonah Jameson. Hey boss, I just got a call from the Food Network. They want to interview me on camera about the beer review I wrote. Maybe do a tasting on the air. What do you know about beer? Nothing more than what I wrote in the review. Great, go do it. (laughs) What a blast it was. Also completely fucking crazy. But while we writers were falling over ourselves to come up with snappy copy and make each other laugh, and attract readers with snark and sarcasm and a cool we could only approach as writers, since we were all hopeless nerds as people, while we were being creative, the fortunes were being made elsewhere, usually by old men who didn't give a damn about humor or expertise or a great lead. Whatever dazzle and delight we could produce in our Midtown magazine was entirely beside the point downtown, where money commands more attention and no one gets distracted by art or science or a rustic vacation. It has been my experience that real men of business have no pastimes. They have capitalism, in which even a pastime, a big boat, an art collection, a safari, even something genuinely enjoyed, sometimes even a family, is also meant to be seen and branded. Always a bit of conspicuous consumption, like a name on a building. Yet I've always been the nameless guy who worked in that building, brooded on the other side of those windows, sat in a cubicle, feeling isolated and unfulfilled, wondering if I'd ever get free. Wondering if I'd ever get to see an actual stream in actual Montana, in actual life, and write about it from experience, rather than from some reflexive shorthand and hocus-pocus. Give me 300 words about a stream in Montana. Sure thing, boss. I've read a lot of Hemingway. Great, go do it. Frank didn't work that way. A Jewish refugee from Nazi Germany, he arrived in the United States with at least some optimism and made his way through the country with his camera and slowly lost some of his optimism. And it's all there in the Americans, the myths, the hope, the sadness, the failures. So when I was writing the poems for All the Lonely American Roads and thinking about the old myths and symbols of America and whether there was anything in our culture worth preserving, I thought a lot about Frank and dug up my old piece, Metropolitan Life, and there it was, a poem about advertising and capitalism and money and yearning, a real New York poem. It fit perfectly, holding together the third section of the longer poem, the section that dismantles the myths that questions if there's anything of value in the old American dream, in the road trips and highways, in the cowboys with six-shooters, in the promises and failures of the melting pot, and in our puritanical obsession with sex. The poem that once was Metropolitan Life 
suddenly worked as one of the sharpest critical elements of the longer poem that is ultimately critical and even more than that, mournful. A poem written after the Me Too and Black Lives Matter eruptions, but also after the embarrassing fiasco of January 6th. It has not been an easy time if you're an American trying to keep the faith. I'd devoted my professional life to the study of American culture in one way or another, and section three of All the Lonely American Roads asks if there is anything in it worthy of my interest, if there ever was, let alone my devotion. What the fuck was I doing? Going to be honest with you, I'm still wondering. I guess I've always wondered. I wrote Metropolitan Life several years before I wrote the rest of the poems in All the Lonely American Roads, and I've been poring over Robert Frank pictures for decades, looking for some kind of meaning in all of the lives he depicts in my own life, in the lives of the people around me. That's everything to me in the end, the little storms that swirl behind the eyes of everyone I see. That's what Frank's work is about, and what I'd like my own work to be about, too. And it's why my next book, inspired by Frank's photographic survey of America, will also be called The Americans. A book of poems and pictures about the storms that swirl behind the eyes of the people I see around me. Looking for some kind of meaning in the same places Frank explored over 65 years ago. I can't wait for you to see it and to discuss it with you in future podcasts. And so, and in the meantime, and in the hope that you find a little meaning for yourself in the crazy, violent, fractured time we live in, this is John Tessitore concluding another installment of Be True. If you've listened this long, thank you. You can find more about all the lonely American roads and all my work at johntessitore.com. But first, find Robert Frank's The Americans. Flip through. Reacquaint yourself with the ideal of trying to take in everything at once. The ideal of trying to understand the good, the bad, the ugly, the bored, the boring. It can't be a reality. We can't really understand everything completely, but we can try. In fact, I think we have to try. Special thanks to me for today's theme music, which I call F chord. Maybe we'll talk again. And if you enjoy this little podcast, leave some stars or a review, please. And also tell your friends. In the meantime, I got to feed the dog. All right, Luna, I'm, uh, uh, I'm coming, you know. <laughs>